Today, we're going to be looking, continuing to look at uh, the last half of the 12th chapter of Hebrews. And this passage starts off, therefore, and uh, that therefore indicates that something else has been going on before that this is referring back to. And in this particular case, the writer, Paul, is writing to uh, some Jewish believers. And he has gone through what some of us call the Hero's Hall of Faith. He's gone through a long list of Old Testament characters who lived and died in faith. And he says that they lived and died not receiving the blessing apart from us uh, that wasn't ours until after the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And uh, uh, whenever he, he, we say he descended into the, to the dead and then he led captivity captive, all those who lived before in the Old Testament who were God-fearing had the chance to receive Jesus as Lord and Savior after he died on the cross for their sins, just like all of us have the opportunity now. And so uh, that's what he's talking about. And then there's a therefore, therefore being surrounded by this great crowd of witnesses who are now up in heaven. Uh, we're supposed to be running our race with endurance. With uh, And then he goes through trials and troubles that we're going to be facing here in this world. And uh, we looked at the first thing that he said last week about uh, lifting up the drooping hands and strengthening the, the knees that are weak and uh, just uh, basically take a deep breath and get up and keep going with the Lord and he'll be with you. But uh, And he also talks about how some of the trials and all that we face uh, are caused because the Lord is disciplining us because we're we got off on a wrong tangent. Sometimes it's because just we're living in a fallen world. But whatever the reason, he wants us to go on to maturity and not to give up when we're going through tough stuff in this world. And so what we're really talking about is Christian maturity. How should a Christian be living in this world? And uh, we looked last week about we need to uh, move through depression and despondency and, um, and go through them with the Lord and come out on the other side and keep on going. And today we're going to be looking at Hebrews 12, 14. And uh, this, in a way, is like a rephrasing of the two great commandments. Uh, whenever Jesus was asked, what's the great commandment? Jesus told the young Pharisee that asked him, it was, uh, it's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, with all your strength. And he said in the second, he said, this is the greatest commandment. Love God with everything you got. And then he said, the second one is like unto it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And so when Paul says uh, here, 
uh, pursue peace with all men and the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Peace and holiness. Peace with other people. That's the second commandment. Love everybody. Love your neighbors yourself. And pursue holiness. Holiness is a right relationship with God. Holiness is living a God-pleasing life. That's it in a nutshell. Uh, and it's going to show. And that's what we're going to talk about, about today. There's an old Puritan prayer that contains a question to the Lord. And that question is, For if I do not walk holily before thee, how can I be assured of my salvation? And that's a really good question. Uh, if you don't walk holy, or as the Puritan said, holily before God, how can you be assured of your salvation? And this verse today answers that question in an extremely firm way. Pursue peace with all men and the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Now, you're not going to see God at work in the world today, and you're not going to fellowship with him in this life, nor see him face to face in heaven if you're not pursuing holiness. That's basically, that's the first part of this. This is what we're going to be looking at today. Now, John Wesley pounded this into Methodists. Whenever the Methodist movement was just getting started, he said that the purpose of the Methodist movement was, and it still is, to spread scriptural holiness throughout the land. That's our heritage. Uh, we're, Methodists are not uh, uh, strangers to the concept of holiness. Uh, it's also uh, translated sanctification. And the doctrine of uh, sanctification, it was one of John Wesley's and one of Methodism's great contributions to uh, the Christian faith. Now, we see here that holiness is a requirement. It says holiness is required to see the Lord. Now then, there are a lot of people that, that translate that in a way in their heads and their hearts as that's just, uh, uh, you've got to be good to go to heaven. You've got to pursue holiness. You've got to try to be right with God here on earth so you can finally get to see God when you get to heaven. And it's a lot deeper than that. And that's what I want to get to you today. Uh, because it's not just, it's the word see there. There are two words in Greek for to see. One of the words is optomai. And that's the mechanical act of seeing with your eyes, of vision. Of, and when I say vision, I'm talking about just being able to perceive something through your eyesight. 
That's optimize. That's word we get optical from and opticians and all that from. The other word is, uh, let's see, I want to get this right, is uh, orao. And orao means to discern, to be aware of. Uh, it means that you are, you, that you experience the presence of someone. Like, uh, I, I'm trying to look to see if there's none of y'all that I talked to this past week on the phone. I did communicate with Clara by text message. And, uh, so, uh, we had communication, but I didn't see Sarah. If I FaceTimed you, that wouldn't be the same. If I FaceTimed to you and talked to you, and somebody, let's say it was Karen, and I FaceTimed and talked to Karen uh, sometime later and said, did you see Karen this week? I'd have to I'd say, no, I FaceTimed her. I talked with her. But even on this, with today's technology, there's a difference. If I went to the Conlon's house, then I would have seen Sharon in, or, or Karen in the sense that this is that the word see is here. It has, you see, it's more than just seeing with your eyes. Blind people can see the Lord in this connotation. Uh, let's see, who was it that, uh, that wrote so many of the hymns? Fanny Crosby was blind from birth. I don't think she, no, she lost her sight very, very young. And, uh, yet she sings, uh, uh, she wrote this song about visions of rapture now burst on my sight. She couldn't see with her eyes, but she could see with her heart. And she knew the presence of God. In fact, that whole song, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is mine. That's about seeing God, about having an assurance of salvation that's been brought to you personally by God. And so we be, and it says without pursuing holiness or getting along with other people, you're not going to experience the presence of God in your life in a good way. So, uh, that's, that's what, uh, the word see means there. And it is a requirement. They'll see the Lord. It's an experience. And uh, it's not just about waiting till we get to heaven to see him. Yeah, then we'll see him face to face. We don't get to see him clearly. And Paul talks about that in, in uh, I think it's 2 Corinthians. No, it's 1 Corinthians 13, where it says, Now we see through a glass darkly, but then we'll see face to face. And oh, we do look forward to seeing him face to face, but we can walk in a, in his presence and we can know his love shed abroad in our heart. We can experience the Lord and communicate with him and be with him in the here and now, but you're not going to do it if you're not pursuing holiness. You know, uh, the word holy is a really, uh, Packed word. And the word holiness as we're using it today, I think the best definition would be devotion of heart and life. 
devotion of heart and life to the Lord. That means committing yourself. You see, there comes a time when you start committing yourself to the Lord. There's an official starting point where you and the Lord come together and you commit your life to him. And from that point on, you go through a process of getting to know him more and more of walking with him and learning about him. It's like a marriage. There's that time when you get married and then you move on from that point in getting to know that person better and better, deeper and deeper. And that's the way it is with our walk in the Lord. We commit to him and then we grow in a wonderful relationship with him. Uh, Compared with marriage, I I read yesterday where this guy, his wife was uh, watching TV and all of a sudden, and and all of a sudden she heard him say, no, no, you, you silly girl. Don't go in. Don't set. Do not set foot in that church. Don't do it. Do not go in that church. And he figured she's watching some sort of a horror movie or something, you know? And, uh, and so he said, what, what are you watching? And she said, I'm watching our marriage video. <laughs> but uh, apparently their marriage wasn't going the way that they were supposed to. You know, we're, uh, she was apparently having some regrets there. So, but we're supposed to, in a, in a marriage, it's supposed to be a relationship of love, of exploring each other, and doing the best you can to supply what the other person wants from their point of view. That's what you do. And uh, uh, that's, in fact, the other day, we, we stopped at an estate sale and uh, we found blue willow ware. And we've had that in our family for ages. And we found a 32-piece set of it for $40. I mean, it's like $40 a plate, you know, I try to buy it online. So, uh, oh, that was a good deal. So, and, and, and Sharon and I both agreed that we should get that. But I noticed she kept looking over at another set close by. And this other set was just a few pieces, like about six, five, four pieces, not many at all. But it was really neat. And I asked her if she wanted that. She says, no, no, I don't want that. And so I said, well, if you really want it, you ought to get it. No, you know. And uh, the lady that was kind of running things there, uh, she said, uh, that, that little set, she said, that's $350. And, uh, and I said, well... I just want her to have what she wants. And the lady looked at me and said, would you adopt me? <laughs> now, you know you're getting old when people want you to adopt them instead of marry them, you know. But, uh, uh, but that's in, in, a, in a loving relationship, you want the party that you love to have what they want. And in a loving relationship with God, We want God to have what he wants from us. 
And that's worship. Uh, you're saying you are worthy of me forgiving this person. You are worthy of me giving a tithe. Uh, you are worthy. And we give and we do whatever we can for God out of love. That's pursuing holiness. That's what it's really all about. It's not legalism. It's not uh, uh, just a bunch of rules to follow. It's not religiosity. It's not religion. It's love. I hope I think I've made that point, so I'm going to try to move on. But holiness begins with God. And uh, it means also to be set apart, to be pure from sin. Holy is something that God is, first of all. He is a holy God, which means that there is no evil, no sin in him, just goodness and love. And this is why the, he's perfect in his holiness, in his sinlessness. And that's why the angels around the throne cry out, Holy, 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 Lord. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. You see, in the Bible, saying something three times, that's the ultimate. And so God is holy, holy, holy. He is the ultimate in holiness. And because God is ultimately holy, nothing unholy can abide in his presence. It would be destroyed by a consuming fire of his presence. And this is why we can't just keep living like we are. We can't keep living in our sins and think we could go to heaven and be with God. People who think that just don't understand God's holiness. Something has to cleanse us from our sin if we want to be able to see God, to experience God, to have a love relationship with God. And this is what happens when we're saved. Even though we sinned, God, the holy God, still loved us and longed to have a relationship with us. He wanted us to be able to be with him. And so God sent his son. God, the son, Jesus Christ came to earth and died on the cross to pay for our sins so that if we would repent of our sins, he'd forgive us and wash us from our sins through and uh, and then uh, well, he'd wash us and cleanse us through the precious blood of Jesus and then impart his Holy Spirit to us. So when we're saved, we're washed, we're cleansed from all of our sins, and then we can have a relationship with him. And, uh, and that will be in the here and now and the hereafter. It begins in this life. So it's something that Jesus brings about through what he did. Uh, you often hear Christians say things like, I'm not holy enough on my own to get to heaven, but Jesus made me holy when he saved me. And that is true. Holy is something we don't earn, but something that Jesus gives us. 
But you see, we also need to see that holiness is also something that will actually begin to happen in your life if Jesus has really saved you. When you give your life to Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, He sends His Holy Spirit into your life and into your heart, into your very being, not only to cleanse your heart of guilt and sin and shame, but also to give you the power to start turning away from sin. So if the Holy Spirit is really in you, you're going to see some changes in your life. You will actually start to become holy in your daily living. Jesus said, you'll know them by their fruit. Second Corinthians 5.17 says, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away. New things have come. Now, brothers and sisters in Christ, if old things are not passing away and new things are not coming, then you have every reason to doubt whether you really are in Christ. The book of 1 John is especially strong on two things, loving one another and also the fruit that's supposed to be seen. It's basically just an extrapolation of Hebrews 12, 14. He says in 1 John 3, 3, everyone who has this hope fixed in him purifies himself just as he is holy. So what he's saying is if, if uh, your hope is really in Jesus, you will be purifying your life to become holy like him. 1 John 2, 3 says, by this we know that we have come to know him. That's a certainty. If we keep his commandments, the one who says, I have come to know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. And he goes on in uh, 1 John 3, 10 to say, by this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. The one who does not practice righteousness is not of God. All these verses are saying the same thing. If you have really been saved and God's Holy Spirit is in you, then he will make a difference in your life and he'll start the process of making you holy. You will purify yourself. You will keep his commandments and you will practice righteousness. First John makes it clear. If these things are not happening in your life at all, then you could be certain that you're not saved. I can remember countless conversations I've had through the past 45 years or so that I've had with people when talking about someone who had lived a very ungodly life and they didn't go to church or live for God at all. And uh, they'd go through all that. We'd talk about all that. And 
They'd make that clear. And then along the line that they'd say, but he, he'd prayed that uh, sinner's prayer when he was six years old. And you know, once saved, always say, really? You see, it's really not that simple. Jesus is the one that said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. The Bible makes it very clear that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature, that old things have passed away, and that new things have come. Don't think that if you have the Spirit of, or don't you think that if you have the Spirit of God Almighty, and if He truly comes into a person's life, don't you think that He's going to make a difference in that life? Of course He will. And you'll be able to know them by their fruit. And I'm afraid that this is a very common delusion, this conversation that I've told you that I've heard several times. It's going to end up sending a lot of people to hell. People think just because they prayed some sinner's prayer uh, word for word that they are going to heaven, whether uh, anything ever changed their life or not, that is deceptive. Listen, merely repeating the words of a prayer that never impacts your life in any way is not going to save you. Now, a prayer of salvation can save you if you really mean it from your heart when you pray it. And if you make a commitment at that point in time and start keeping that commitment after you make that commitment. You see, that sinner's prayer can be that time of commitment. And when that's the case, yes, that'll be okay. Uh, if you really mean it in your heart, but if you, if you do mean it in your heart, then you'll not just happily continue in your same old sins. You'll be really sorry for your sins. And you're going to want to repent of them and, and make that U-turn and give Jesus control of your life. His Holy Spirit will come into your life and he will help you to follow him and make changes in your life. And you will at least begin to be holy. But if you're not becoming holy at all, if you're just living the same old life you have always lived, then you can be sure that God's Spirit is not in your heart and you're not saved. It's that simple. Now, let me be clear. This does not mean that you are going to be living a perfect life right out of the chute. It doesn't mean that you have to live a perfect life in order to have any hope of seeing God and getting to heaven. No, Jesus lived a perfect life for us. He paid that price for us. But if he really saved you, and if his spirit uh, is in your life, then he will give you a desire in your heart to be holy. And if you start veering off, you'll lose that presence in your heart. That's why David sometimes prayed, don't hide your face from me. And whenever he prays a blessing, he says, 
May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you because you can drift away from his presence and experiencing him of seeing him. And whenever you find that happening, it's time to repent and come back and get back on track with him. He'll convict you about your sin through his word and he will help you to work on being holy. It doesn't mean that you're there yet and uh, none of us uh, will ever be perfect until we get to heaven. But do you want to be holy? That's the important thing. Are you working on being holy? If you want to be holy, and if you're at least working on it, then that's the best of the signs that you are really genuinely saved. But let me make it as clear as I can. There is no biblical assurance of salvation for any person whose life is not becoming holy. The verse that says it emphatically, this verse says it emphatically, without holiness, without pursuing holiness, no one will see the Lord. Now that word pursue is so important. It's the same word that Jesus used when he told his disciples, come, follow me. It's the same word that's used uh, uh, in uh, military terms whenever you're pursuing an enemy relentlessly until you catch them and wipe them out. It means to, to go after with all you have. It means to, to really diligently find them, get them, chase them till you have it and you grasp it. And so we are to pursue holiness. We're to pursue peace with people and we're likewise to pursue holiness. And this is important. He's saying that holiness is not something that just accidentally is going to happen to you. If you're going to become holy, it will be because you have pursued it. And there's some bad teaching out there that says you never have to do anything. You just don't have to do anything. And the Bible says you got to go after it. You've got to pursue holiness. Yeah, in the Bible, it tells us that this is exactly what we're supposed to be doing with holiness, pursuing it. And those of us who really know Jesus as our Savior are to relentlessly pursue holiness. We are to never rest. We're never to be satisfied until we have attained it. And as we attain it, we continue in order to maintain it. It's just like a marriage. You have to work on it. You don't just get married and then just uh, go off and live like you never got married. How do we pursue holiness? I'm just going to get started on it. I'm not going to go much further today. But it begins by pursuing a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. It begins actually with the fear of God and a realization that you have offended him and that you're on your way to hell if you don't repent and receive what Jesus did for you on the cross. Alice Cooper is a good example of this. 
He says, a lot of people say, I came to Christ because of my love for Jesus. I came to Christ because of my fear of God. I totally understood that hell was not good at gonna, is not getting high with Jim Morrison. Hell was going to be the worst place ever. In fear, I came back to the Lord. I knew who Jesus was, and I knew that I'd been living my life without him. I knew there had come a point where either I accepted Christ and started living that life, or if I died in this, I was in a lot of trouble. And that's what really motivated me. I just got to a point where I said, I'm tired of living this way. And I'll tell you one thing. When Jesus opens your eyes and you finally realize who you are and who he is, it's a whole different world. And so his coming into a personal relationship with God began with fear. You remember the song Amazing Grace? "Twas grace that taught my heart to fear. And then, and grace my fears relieved. How precious was that precious, is that precious grace with our I first believed. When you sincerely receive the salvation that God offers through the cross, he comes, he gives you a new life. You're born again and you have an assurance of your salvation. And then from that point on, you start trying to live in a love relationship, pleasing your Savior. The song came to mind as I was writing this part, Living for Jesus. I love that song. Living for Jesus, a life that is true, trying to please Him in all that I do. Giving allegiance, glad-hearted and free. This is the pathway of blessing for me. Isn't that what the author of Hebrews is saying? Without pursuing holiness, you can't see God. But if you pursue holiness, you will. And it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. Well, we've asked something at the very beginning. There was that prayer that the old Puritan prayed over well over a hundred years ago. So to answer the question that he prayed, if I don't walk holily before God, how can I be assured of my salvation? The answer is you can't. That's why God commands us here. Pursue holiness without which no one will see the Lord in the name of the father and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.